Well, hello, oddballs. It's your host, Bobby, and this is Oddities on Elm Street. I am super excited about today's topic. It's something that really deeply interests me, and it seems to interest a lot of people. Because anytime I do a video on it, people seem to love these stories. So today, I'm going to be sharing the most convincing stories of reincarnation. I may turn it into a series, but I'll be calling it People Who Have Lived Before. If this sounds like something that interests you, then definitely stick around because these stories are absolutely insane. And if it's not something that interests you, then still, stick around, and maybe you'll change your mind. The first story we're going to be talking about involved a young boy from Syria. At around the age of three years old, the boy began recounting something terrifying. A story of his own murder from his past life. News of this quickly began spreading and the boy's story caught the attention of a German therapist named Trutz Hardo, who had been studying children's accounts of their past lives for years. Under the evaluation of this therapist, the little boy began recounting the death he endured in his previous life. He said he was struck in the face with an axe and died as a result of the blow. The boy went a step further and brought the therapist and the local elders back to the village where he believed he had lived his past life. When he arrived, he remembered his previous name. The locals in this village told the elders that the man who the boy was claiming to be had been missing for four years. When the alleged killer was confronted, he claimed to know nothing about what the boy was saying. So, the boy took the elders to the spot where he believed his previous body was. And sure enough, they found a man's skeleton buried in a shallow grave. When they pulled the body up, it was clear that what the boy had said about the murder was true. There was a big wound to the head where the axe had struck him. And this wound lined up perfectly with the birthmark that the young boy had been born with. Faced with this evidence, the killer then admitted to the crime. There's not a ton more detail about this case, but it has been documented in a book by the German therapist himself. This next one is also the story of a little boy. Luke Ruhlman was just two years old when his parents began commenting that he was an old soul. Around the age of five, he began giving his toys the name of Pam. It was also around this time that he began telling his parents that he used to be a girl. Not only this, but he was able to give details about what he looked like, saying that he used to have black hair and wore earrings that were similar to his mother's. This struck a chord with his parents, and they slowly began putting the pieces of the puzzle together. His mother, Erica, began asking Luke who Pam was. He turned to her and responded by saying, Well, I was. At least I used to be. But then I died, went up to heaven and saw God. And in the end, God pushed me back. When I woke up, I was a baby and you called me Luke. Obviously, after this, his mother began pressing him for more details. Luke then revealed that he used to live in Chicago, which is a city he's never even been to, and that he took the train often. The last thing he revealed was that he had died in a fire. 
While saying this, he made a hand motion indicating the act of someone jumping from a window. Luke's mom, Erica, began searching for more information. This is when she discovered the news story of a fire in the Paxton Hotel in Chicago. This fire took place in March of 1993, and 15 people died as a result. And a black woman named Pam Robinson died in that fire after jumping out of a window. The Ruhlman family was connected with the paranormal investigation TV show called The Ghost Inside My Child. The producers of this show were interested in Luke's claims. While filming, they showed Luke a full page of pictures with different black women in their 30s. One of these women were, of course, Pam Robinson. But the producers were interested in testing whether or not Luke really knew who Pam was. After showing him these pictures, they were amazed when he pointed directly at Pam Robinson's photo with no hesitation and said, I remember when that picture was taken. Luke's mom, Erica, was encouraged to reach out to Pam's family to learn more about her. She discovered more similarities between her son and Pam, including their shared love of Stevie Wonder and their natural talent of playing the keyboard. Our next story is that of Dorothy Eadie. Dorothy was born in London in 1904 to Irish parents. Her remarkable story begins at age three. It was around this time that she had fallen headfirst down a flight of stairs in her home, and as a result of this, she was knocked unconscious. Accounts disagree on what exactly happened next. Some say she was pronounced dead before suddenly reviving, but others say she suffered a rare brain injury of some sort. Whatever the case, this incident altered her forever. It was after this that she began telling her parents to take her home. When they would ask her where home was, she couldn't recall. Sometime within the first year after she fell down the stairs, Dorothy's parents took her to an Egyptian exhibit at the British Museum. It's at this point that her story gets truly weird. As she was making her way around the different artifacts, she is said to have pointed at a photo and said, there is my home. The image she was pointing at showed the temple of Seti I, who was the father of Ramses the Great. Ramses the Great was a well-known pharaoh of the 19th dynasty of Egypt. So when Dorothy recognized this place in the picture as her home, she began insisting that something was missing. She kept asking, where are the trees? And where are the gardens? The story goes that Dorothy then began running around the museum, kissing the feet of the statues and claiming that she was now amongst her people. Obviously, her parents discouraged this kind of behavior, but as she grew older, she began visiting the exhibit herself as often as she could. At some point, she grabbed the attention of a prominent Egyptologist named E.A. Wallace Budge. He encouraged Dorothy to begin learning hieroglyphics, she began getting in trouble at school because of her new interests. One Sunday school teacher asked that her parents keep her at home because she was spreading Egyptian paganism ideals amongst her classmates. The all-girls school that she attended expelled her for refusing to sing Christian hymns, and she was also kicked out of Catholic mass. By the age of 14, she began describing her past relationship with Seti I, claiming to have been his lover. Not knowing what to do in this situation, 
Dorothy's parents committed her to one mental facility after another, but nothing worked. She simply refused to let go of these beliefs, and at the age of 16, she decided to drop out of school for good. It was during this time that she took up part-time studies at an art school where her father operated a movie theater. During this period, Dorothy was able to work through some of the details of her past life. She would have dreams that the people she once knew were coming to visit her while she slept. She began claiming to be the reincarnation of a girl named Bentrashite. Bentrashite was abandoned at the age of three, which is how old Dorothy was when she fell down the stairs and began remembering her past life. After being abandoned, Bentrashite was raised in the Temple of Seti I which is the same building Dorothy pointed out at the museum, saying that it was her home when she was just four years old. Dorothy recounted meeting the pharaoh in the temple gardens while serving as a priestess of Isis. To become a priestess of Isis, there are certain rules you have to follow. One of those rules being, if you were to lose your virginity, it's considered a capital offense. And Bentrashite became pregnant with Seti's child. She was then ordered to stand trial, but knowing what the outcome of this trial would be, she decided to die by her own hand. Dorothy's next pivotal phase of her life came at the age of 27. It was around this time that she began writing for an Egyptian magazine in London. It was here that she met the man who would become her husband and the father of her son. She named her son Seti after her long-lost pharaoh lover. The three of them decided to live in Cairo, Egypt. Unfortunately, her marriage failed and her husband moved to Iraq. But Dorothy, who now went by the name Am Seti, which means mother of Seti in Arabic, she decided to stay in Egypt to raise her son. She took up a job working as a draftswoman with the National Department of Antiquities. During the time she worked there, she wrote multiple books and articles that are still known today. In her 50s, Dorothy, or Am Seti, was given the opportunity to work alongside excavators in Abydos, and of course, she gladly accepted. After all, Abydos is the site where Seti I and Bentrashite became lovers, and is the very same place she pointed out in that museum when she was just four years old. And she proved to be a very valuable resource. She was able to help excavators locate the ruins of the gardens she had so long ago described. Even crazier was the exchange she had with the chief inspector from Egypt's antiquities department. He took her to Seti's temple to test her claims. Standing there in total darkness, he described a series of wall paintings to her. After each description, he would ask her to walk in the direction of that particular mural. She did so without any error, leaving the inspector amazed. The locations of these paintings had never before been published, so there was no way that she could have known. In 1981, the year she died, she was featured in a National Geographic documentary titled Egypt, Quest for Eternity. Before dying at age 77, she was aware that no Christian or Muslim cemeteries would accept her because of her beliefs. With that in mind, she decided to construct her own tomb in her back garden. But before she finished her tomb, 
local health officials intervened, insisting that they would give her a proper burial. But after she passed away, the only place they could find for her was an unwanted plot in the middle of the desert. They allowed her body to be buried there, but only if no marker would be placed above her grave. Only a pile of stone was allowed. Researchers are still working to disprove Dorothy's claims, but they have never been able to. Some of these researchers have even changed their minds about her and said that she is the most interesting person they have ever gotten the privilege to learn about. This is our final reincarnation story. Before we get into it, I just want to say I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast thus far. If you have, please follow along, and I hope you'll be back next week. In April of 1998, a couple from Louisiana named Bruce and Andrea Leninger gave birth to a baby boy and named him James. When James was almost two years old, him and his father visited a flight museum when they discovered James's fascination with planes, especially World War II aircrafts, which he would stare at in awe. Within months, James began repeating the phrase, airplane crash on fire. He would even reenact the scene with his toys. He also began having terrifying nightmares. During these nightmares, he would kick and scream, saying words like, airplane crash on fire, and little man can't get out. Eventually, James talked to his parents about this so-called crash, saying, Before I was born, I was a pilot, and my airplane got shot in the engine and it crashed in the water. And that's how I died. James said that he flew off from a boat and that his plane was shot by the Japanese. When his parents asked him what the name of the boat was, he said, Natoma. And when they asked him who little man was, he would say, James, or me. When his parents asked if he could remember anyone else, he offered the name Jack Larson. When James was two and a half years old, he saw a photo of Iwo Jima in a book and said, my plane got shot down there, daddy. When James was 11 years old, a psychiatrist named Jim Tucker came to visit him and his family. This psychiatrist is one of the world's leading researchers on a scientific study of reincarnation and rebirth. After interviewing the family for two days, he realized that there is documentation proving everything that James was claiming. It turns out that back on March 3, 1945, James Huston, a 21-year-old U.S. Navy pilot, flew his final flight after taking off from the USS Natoma Bay which was an aircraft carrier that was engaged in the Battle of Iwo Jima. Huston was flying with a squadron of eight pilots, including his friend Jack Larson, when his plane was shot in the nose and crashed into the ocean. Young James Leninger has since gotten to meet Jack Larson, an old friend of his from a different lifetime. 